Hey, and welcome to the AP's Guide to Survival. I'm Jen. And I'm April. We're just two fearless females learning how to survive and thrive in this world of educational leadership. So today in our journey, we have been lucky enough to land an amazing guest. Um, today joining us, we have Dr. Lissa Pianofsky. And we're going to be talking about the topic of encouraging a culture of innovation. Dr. Pianofsky is a superstar in the world of educational leadership, and we're a deep dive into deeper learning and what that looks like um, as a teacher and a leader in schools during a pandemic. Dr. Pianoski, if you will just kind of tell us a little bit about who you are and um, kind of how you got started in this crazy world that is education. Sure. Guys, thank you so much for inviting me to have this conversation with you today. I'm super excited about it. Uh, you know, I, this is actually my 30th year in education. And you, you young ones <laughs> probably not, I can't even imagine that right now. But um, this is my 30th year. And to be honest, I love it just as much today as I did when I started. And it probably more, to be honest. And I uh, started as a teacher and I quickly moved into being an instructional coach and then a school administrator. And then I just have a love for teaching and learning and helping teachers. So I went into curriculum and instruction. And then I went to the dark side for a while. I went to the Georgia Department of Education. Loved it. Great professional <laughs> experience. Um, I was the director of school improvement uh, in Georgia. And we were, that was when we had no child left behind. We had no school improvement division. We started from scratch. It was um, amazing. Wow. So we created a statewide kind of infrastructure for school improvement. It was fantastic. Great professional experience. And then I went to back to my home district, which is for Scythe County Schools. And I was associate superintendent there for uh, a number of years. So I think uh, seven. And then I decided, uh, you know what? I love teaching. And so I wanted to go back out and help teachers and leaders. And I became a consultant. And so I have been roaming the country, helping districts and schools all across the country. And of course, in my um, home state of Georgia, at just, you know, navigating education that's ever changing and just absolutely love it. So uh, it's been quite a quite a wild ride. Well, we're now this is a side this is a sidebar. Okay, so you did also work. Do you did some work in Metro Nashville Public Schools, right? I did. I did. Okay. I did my student teaching in Metro Nashville Public Schools. I saw that somewhere that you had done that, and I was like, oh my gosh, I think you were at the middle school that I student taught at. Well, I actually like working with them. a lot of coaching. I love Nashville and fell in love with the city, but also the, the school that I was working with. The, the staff were just amazing and I just loved everything about it. Yeah. So I had a, that was one of my um, really fun experiences out and about uh, outside the state of Georgia. Yeah. And in the county that we currently work in, um, Jen and I, we have the pleasure of getting to work with some people call her Dr. P, some people call her Lissa. Um, but I always know when we go and we get to work with Dr. P or Lissa that it's, it's going to be something that we're truly going to get to take back. So many PDs, I feel like, you know, it's old, it's tired, we're bored by lunch and checking our email, but never, ever, and not that we would ever do that if anybody in our county is listening, but um, <laughs> with Dr. P, it's just, it's phenomenal. You know that you're going to get, you're going to get your brain kind of chewed up and spit out by all the things that she shares with us. So 
We're really in like the best way. In, oh, in the best that's way. A huge compliment. Thank you. <laughs> in the best way. Yes. So, okay. So in that vein, if you'll just tell us a little bit about your leadership philosophy, because it sounds like you've had a lot of different roles in your 30 years um, and plus counting. So talk to us a little bit about how you describe your own personal philosophy and style. Well, you know, I, I'm going to be really just very vulnerable and, and honest with you guys, because this is a podcast about surviving leadership. And um, I have survived leadership. <laughs> In many cases, I've thrived, but I, I will say that I've learned a lot. And it's just like when you are out of the classroom and you kind of want to go back and have a do-over. There are times where I've learned and about leadership and I think, oh gosh, if I was a principal just one more time, or if I, or I wish I could have, if I knew then what I know now. And so uh, my philosophy of leadership is really a very much a shared leadership philosophy. Um, I do not think, I think that I should actually bring um, smart people to the table and, and listen more than I'm talking. And I think that um, truly empowering teachers is absolutely uh, the key to any kind of successful improvement efforts or just the school culture, everything. And so for me, um, as much as I am a teacher advocate in my leadership philosophy, I felt like teachers were it. And even when I was associate superintendent, we always, always tried to build teacher leadership among our district. We, if we were ever going to roll something out, there were always teachers at the table. And typically they were the ones that we trained to go out and deliver the message. And so it was just continuing to build capacity that way. So that really is my big leadership philosophy is, is really about just empowering others to, to do really important work. And one of the things I think you're so good at is helping people almost stumble or trip over the truth as if it was by their own like discovery. And I know that you've done that in our school and in our county, but how do you do that? How do you get us as leaders to kind of trip across the truth, which you cleverly designed? <laughs> that sounds kind of evil. No, in the best way. <laughs> Um, you know, I think that it's just about um, having a learning experience. So I really believe in kids having an experience and coming to deeper understanding themselves. And so I try to do that in my professional learning design as well. So I, um, I feel like it's really important that, that we, um, that we have this, you know, opportunity for professionals to, whether it's through data or through a discussion and me asking questions that really make people reflect and ponder on, you know, is that really our current reality or how, how could we reimagine what this could look like? I think that's my role in, in professional learning is to create that experience and then allow folks that um, space to, uh, really have, you know, deep conversations and, and feel safe in doing that. And I don't think people recognize how difficult that is to do. Um, it's so much easier to get up there and just kind of tell people what they're going to do. But to, I'm always shocked by how you're able to kind of take whatever we throw at you and kind of twist it around to you, not in the best way, um, but to be <laughs> able to just kind of support what you know is best practice in education. So that's, it's not easy to do that for sure. Wow. And it's so multifaceted because it's not just, it's not just instruction. It's not just leadership. Like we, I remember you were leading our social emotional learning team. So like getting, it's like, it's 
we really are approaching when we're working with you the whole, and I know this is like cliche, but like the whole child, you know, and that's, and it's like the whole person too, because it's not just the kids, it's the adults we're working with. I just really appreciate, I just have to say, I really appreciate, I feel like you, I feel like you work really hard to trust the people that you are working with to, to take that deeper dive. So thinking about like your experience in schools across the country, what do you see you know, whenever you're doing that, what do you see as the biggest challenge for leaders who are trying to build a culture of innovation in schools? Uh, actually, uh, Jen, you just you just nailed it. It was it's trust, to be honest. You we can't innovate schools. We can't um, move schools forward until we've built a culture of trust. And I will say um, Katie Martin, actually, I don't know if you guys follow her, but she just wrote an amazing that just came out and I've posted it on Twitter today, actually. But she um, she actually said in, in her quote, she said, you know, we can change policies and implement new programs. But if we don't empower teachers and create school culture where people feel valued and free to take risks, we will miss out on our greatest opportunity to change how students learn. And I truly believe um, that that is that's everything. And so to be honest with you, even when I go in to work uh, in districts, I, I don't see it as a one-off professional development. I see it as a partnership. And if I don't, I feel like I'm not going to be able to be successful until I've created that trust and that relationship with my client, my partner. And when I've done that, it's been, we've been able to move at light speed. And, uh, and I think that's true for all leaders in schools uh, and, and even teacher leaders in their teams, you know, you have to start with building that culture of trust. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like is a common myth around education that you wish you could debunk for parents, for students, for other educators? Uh, you know, this is something that um, that has bothered me for the longest time. And it was in my master's program at Georgia State University. And I actually... Uh, it's really sad because I have this book that was from 1990 and it's uh, actually, I was assigned to read this book and it was schools for the 21st century leadership imperatives for education reform. And it's by Phil Schlechty. And I'm a huge student of Phil's. I think that he is amazing. And there was this, there was a specific quote in there that actually stood out for me. And he always said that students are volunteers and I thought, hmm. Now, at the time, I was actually getting my master's degree in ed leadership. So I was still in the classroom coaching. And I thought, uh, not really. They have to come to school. <laughs> like, they're not volunteers, right? But what he was saying was so important. He was saying that their attendance can be co- commanded, but their attention has to be earned. And from that moment forward, I really, I realized that so much of what we do has to be about student engagement. From everything from the design of learning experiences to how we actually set up our cultures to be inclusive and um, warm and inviting and you know just everything about school should be about how do we engage students from the moment they get off the bus until they leave us in the afternoon. And the, the myth about that is really about you know some some people believe that, you know, it's the student's job to be at school and it's the student's job to get good grades and it's the student's job, you know, and, and I don't, 
I don't see it that way. And I remember a gentleman and I was working in Philadelphia in a high school there that was actually a turnaround high school. And so it was, um, they were just thrilled to have me there, <laughs> as you can imagine. But I was talking about, you know, lesson design for high school students. And he said, well, that's not my job. Mm. I, my kids are not motivated. My kids are, the, you know, they're not doing their homework. They're not doing this. And I said, well, actually, it probably has more to do with your design and your delivery of instruction than anything else. Students aren't just going to come in and go, yay, it's time for me to learn better. Yes. Like we have to actually hook them from the very beginning. It's just like adult learners for professional development, right? So um, to me, I think that's the myth that I think we need to debunk is that it's not the student's job. It is actually our job to create environments that are so compelling that kids want to do the work. So that's, that's my, that's my big one. That's like huge light bulb. You said that. And I could feel my, like, I could feel my brain working as you were saying that because I'm so guilty. I'm so guilty. I've said it before where I tell the kids school is your job. Your grades are your, is your paycheck. And it's like, that makes it sound terrible that like, that does not make it. And I, I don't like saying that, but I'm like, when I'm trying to put it in perspective for them, I say it like that, but, but when you, when you say like, we can, we can make them attend, but we can't make them pay attention. Mm. That that's such a light bulb moment. And I feel like that's kind of where we get lost in education is we forget the, the joy behind it, I guess. Like we forget the joy behind the work and, I and think it becomes a job. I think as learners, a lot of times, you know, students, they don't have control over a lot of things in their life, but they do have control over what they give their mind and attention to. And if that's the one thing they can hold over your head, then so I mean, that's just so powerful thinking about our, our students who we get to see a lot, you know, Jen, um, if we could just encourage their teachers to hook them. Um, and that's hard. I mean, that's what we're saying is not easy, right? Very hard. And you know what you said, Jen, I've caught myself doing the same thing. I even say to my own children, look, your job is to go to school and <laughs> do, you know, yeah. if you flip it, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with leadership and, and teacher empowerment, it really is about students being partners in the learning. So it's not being schools being done to me. It's actually you're a partner. I'm actually mm -hmm. going to design great learning experiences. But yes, I need for you to partner with me and engage in the work as well. So it's, it's just kind of a changing mindset. So it's, it's really about student empowerment more than, um, you know, and them being partners in the learning process. And, and once they, and once we invite them into that partnership and they feel like they have some ownership over the work and some bot, you know, they, it's, it changes their mindset completely because a lot of kids are just, they're playing the game. Mm -hmm. they, know, they know they can tell you exactly what they need to get on the next test to get a B in the class. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, and they're only going to learn enough to get the B on the test. And so I think our charge is, okay, how do we actually get them to want to do more, mm -hmm. to work harder, to persevere in tasks that are really meaningful to them and real world so that it's not something that they have to ask us, well, why do we have to know this? Right. <laughs> like, why do I need to learn this? We should be hooking them with the why from the very beginning. Because the real why is the skill. Exactly. Right? The real why is the skill of, of 
Oh, and I guess it's not the skill, but the ability, the work ethic. It's it's definitely not side angle side theorem. It, it's no. it's the critical thinking, right? Right. Because um, if it was, then you didn't hook me. But but absolutely, <laughs> don't tell my math friends. But but yes, it, it is. It's the critical thinking that they're going to take with them way beyond their high school years. So switching yeah. gears a little bit, kind of moving away from the learner to the lead learner in the room, right? The leader. How do you balance it all? How do you care for yourself, avoid burnout by doing all the things with all the people that you do? Um, that is the million dollar question. <laughs> I'm going um, to be really honest to say that um, that's probably where I've had to, to learn and grow a lot um, in the last several years. I have a really hard time saying no. And I have found that a lot of leaders are in the same position Yep. because people will ask one more thing of you. Mm -hmm. Could you do this? Can you do this one more call? Could you stay a little bit later and meet with this group? Could you do this? Could you do this? And so I have such a hard time saying no. And so finally, at one point, you know, you get to, you, you maybe work so hard, you work yourself into a tizzy in terms of like your health and your mental state, and maybe you're neglecting your family or, or whatever it might be. And um, to be quite honest, my husband will very quickly say, um, time out, <laughs> we're hitting a wall here. <laughs> and, and so I've, I've learned over the years that, um, that it's okay to say no, mm -hmm. that it's okay. And most people will really understand that if you say, you know what, I really need to spend some time with my family, but I will absolutely make time for you next week. Or could we make this phone call, you know, and just you're still going to provide amazing service to the people that you work with. Cause I'm such a, I feel that I'm a servant leader. And so that can get you into a real, you know, problem, but I'm a mom. I have three kids. I have a husband. I, you know, I need to take care of myself. You know, you just have to sleep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes. And, and, and you can, you know, it's, it's, it's probably one of the things that is um, when I'm coaching principals and coaching, executive leaders in school districts, it is always how I end a conversation. Now tell me how you're taking care of yourself. And it's so I hard. Always, yes. It is hard because we start jumping into the work. We talk about the work, but I always end a conversation with how, tell me how you're taking care of yourself. And then my next question is, okay, how can I better support you? And so it always makes people stop for a moment and think, and say, okay, how am I taking care? And oftentimes people will be very honest and say, I'm doing a really crummy job about that. Yeah. And I have not slept. I've been staying here late. I've been going to the, all the games. I've been doing that, you know. And then at that point, it's an opportunity to say, okay, so what do we need to do differently next week? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think the biggest thing immediate. that's helped me just this year, and, and gosh, I'm not great at it either, but having an accountability partner, whether that's your husband, like you were talking about, mm -hmm. or whether that's just, you know, another edu queen, another somebody else in the education world, you know, um, who has been in the trenches with you. Cause I feel like that's the other piece, like our family, they get to see what we're like after the fact, but they're not in the trenches. That's um, right. So you have to, I mean, it, it, um, everybody in leadership positions, especially now, um, you know, just with what we've been dealing with, with the pandemic, people have been working ridiculous hours trying to figure out, and it's been very stressful, lots of high anxiety. 
you know, guidance is changing every minute. You know, you're waiting for that next email to tell you that you got to change course or whatever it is. Yes. And it, it's really taking a toll. And, you know, the, we have to take care of each other as leaders, um, you know, just as much as we're taking care of our teachers so that our teachers can take care of our kids. And so, you know, that um, Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's and a that- great That truly is like a universal anxiety right now. Like people in my, I have people in my family that are not educators and they're feeling some of those same things that we're feeling, you know, and I'm, I guess I'm not as much of a, of a Brene Brown person as, as a lot of people in education are, but I really appreciated. She talked once about having a vault, like having that person that you can go to and share everything with it. You know, you can trust them with that. And, um, you know, for me, that, for me, that's, often been my dad. I would call him after school on my way home from work. And now I see the strain, like he's feeling some of the same strains that I've been feeling. He has got his own things that he's worrying about. And so I feel like that's kind of adding on to that feeling of anxiety that all of us are having because the people that we've gone to before, they're having a hard time compartmentalizing and putting their stuff to the side to listen to us. And so, you know, we have our people in the trenches who are going through their stuff and then you know, in the trenches with us. And then we have people there in their own trenches going through their stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, yeah. buckets of grace. That's what we've been saying for the last few that's months. That's our motto. But buckets, and buckets of grace. <laughs> Just all buckets like of buckets of grace because it's been a really <laughs> tough few months. And I think everybody really is feeling that pinch, like you were saying. Yeah. And people are, are just, I mean, stepping up. Oh, just incredible what folks have been doing to learn the technology, to figure out innovative ways to deliver the tech, to make sure that kids actually have access and are being fed and they're safe and, uh, you know, all these different things that folks are doing. And, you know, oftentimes that's not in the newspaper. That's That's not in the media. You know, you hear about schools closing because of a quarantine or whatever else is happening. But do you know what teachers did behind the scenes? I actually saw a really great um, T-shirt the other day that had a big iceberg on it. And it it said, um, you know, the I, you know the top of the iceberg is above the water. And then there's this huge iceberg underneath. And it basically said, you know, this is what you can see. What you can see is about one third of what teachers are actually doing behind the scenes. That's right. And I think it's so true for leaders as well. Yeah. You know, there's just so much more that's happening to make this all work. Right. And honestly, I feel like when somebody approaches you about a question or a concern, it's like they only see the tip, which is you're available right now, but the iceberg is all the previous conversations that you just had and, and showing up for your people without letting the energy from the, your previous conversation, you know, enter into your, your new conversation. That is so difficult. It's something oh, yeah. that we've, Jen and I have talked about, we're struggling with, you know, just shedding off the old energy and, and, and all the stuff underneath the iceberg to be able to be present for what's on top, what's on the surface, you know? <laughs> and I, I'm going to be really honest when I'm out in buildings, even today, you know, when I'm out coaching new principals and so forth, I actually recommend to principals and all leaders that when you're out and about, cause you will get stopped in the cafeteria, in the hallway, somebody will grab you. Can you look at, I always have a journal or a notebook with me everywhere I go. Because this will happen, right? You've gone all over the building. You've got your walkie-talkie. People have asked you all these. And you get back to your office and you're like, oh, gosh, what did Miss Smith ask me? Yes. And it's just gone, right? Like, because all this other stuff is built up. So I always just say, you know what? 
if I don't have my notepad, I'll say, could you just email me that request? And I promise you. I'll I was just talking about this earlier with, uh, with our yeah. admin assistant, because she, she asked me something and I wrote it down on a sticky note. Like I had her write it down for yep. me. Cause I was like, seriously, like what, what you're going through is super important to me, but what I'm going through is what's going to take up the most space in my brain. And between the time it takes for me to walk from the cafeteria to my office, I'm going to forget yep. what you told me. And if there's no malice in it, yeah. please email it to me because I'm going to forget it and I need it written down. And like, it's become this running joke. I know we did, well, we did a training um, a, a couple of weeks ago and someone came and asked me a question and I was like, yeah, well you, and she goes, I know, I know, email it to you, but I just needed to tell you to your face. And I was like, thank you. Oh, and thank I, you for understanding I, me. Thank you for your buckets of grace. Like, I promise, I promise I care about it. And I used to be the same way. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I just said it to you. Why do I need to email you? But now I get it. Like my brain can only hold a couple of things and, and I don't want to be your, yours to be the one I, I miss, you know? <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. And if you don't want, I mean, if you have your notebook, then, you know, you don't have to ask them to email. You know, I just write things. I just have a date at the beginning of my notebook and I just write this long list of things. And then when I have a moment, I sit down and I look at my list again and I prioritize, okay, what do I have to get done before I leave today? Or what, do, what is first on my list for tomorrow or whatever? And otherwise you leave anxious and, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget something. And, you know, it's just the, it's just a constant from the time you step on campus until the time you get back home. I love that. And it's really hard to turn it off. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Really hard. So, um, our next question, and I'm really glad that you mentioned earlier how you close out all of your conversations, because we actually plan to close out our conversation the exact same way, which is how are you caring for yourself? What do you do or have you done to fill your bucket recently to avoid burnout? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're really going to catch me on this one. Well, um, you know, to be honest, I've, I was really bad, um, you know, co during COVID and quarantine was, was to be, was great because I exercised almost every day and exercising for me could be a 30 minute walk in my neighborhood, or we live, you know, across one neighborhood over from a, a, a park, a, a preserve. And so we can actually walk over there. So that was really fantastic for me because I, I kind of had to recognize once again, that exercise for me is really important. Even if it's just right. time to walk away from my computer, because my office is at home. And so mm -hmm. it's really hard <laughs> to not go in here at all hours. I mean, I usually wake up really early in the morning and I'm in here and then it's easy if everybody's busy for me to sneak in here again and catch a couple emails. And so for me, um, exercise has been a, a really big deal. So just taking those walks, um, and I, you know, I try to do it every single day uh, and I'm outdoor person. I, we have a backyard. I'm guard. We like to garden and just trying to be outside, getting some fresh air and just walking away for a little bit, trying to turn it off. And that to me has probably been the biggest thing. It was a good reminder. When you're quarantined, you don't have to you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. I was going to say, oh, go ahead. I think for us, we need to challenge ourselves now that we're not in quarantine to do the same thing because I was very intentional about, you know, self-care and my morning routine and my evening routine. And now that we've been in the midst of starting a school in a pandemic, um, which has never been done before, uh, all those things that we know we need to do quickly go out the window. Um, so I, I need to challenge myself and Jen, you too, that we need to get back into that same habit. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I've been talking about. Yeah, that's what we've been talking about recently with when we talk about like our spotlights and our demerits. 
And for me, it was reestablishing my routine of making sure that I'm taking time for myself as far as exercise and, and, you know, going where I like to go to get my exercise in, because it's, it is difficult to take that time for yourself when you have what you like, you have so much to do. And we all know we have so much to do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I saw a great quote. I think I, I probably posted it during quarantine and it said, you know, everybody is so anxious to get back to the, to normal. And, you know, during quarantine, it, it made me reflect on, well, is the normal really what I want to go back to? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. I was working insane hours and I was traveling so much and in different states on different days and, and then being quarantined at home, it really gave me an opportunity to, to kind of slow down for a minute and really reflect on, okay, what kind of normal do I really want to go back to? And what are some of the things that we do now that can easily transfer into our new normal, whatever that is. And I hate that phrase. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. But then, yeah, I mean, what, what do we want? Let's, let's reimagine it. Let's think about, you know, what, what's, I think we all had to reflect on what was most important in our professional lives as well as our personal lives during this time. And so, like you said, April, not going back to the rat race without remembering those and and figuring out how to make time for the things that are most important. Absolutely. Well, speaking of taking time, we're so thankful that you took some time out of your very hectic schedule to come and just chat with us. Um, If somebody wants to know more about you or find you out on the interwebs, where can they go and how can they get in contact with you? Sure, sure. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been a pleasure. I just love chatting with you girls anyway. So, um, but they can find information about me uh, at lissapianowski.com. And, uh, you know, they can find information about the book that I wrote and some other, the podcast and other things that I have going on, um, all on that website. So, um, yeah, I would love for folks to, to find out a little bit more about what's happening. And of course I'm on Twitter and I, and I have a face professional Facebook page and that's all on the website as well. So they can uh, connect with me there. And we'll we'll link, we'll link all of that in the show notes. And I was going to say, um, if you enjoy watching someone else with their quarantine thoughts, walking in their garden, Lissa is definitely the girl to watch because I really enjoyed your quarantine thoughts. I really appreciated those when I, I was going to, I knew you were going to tell me that you walked in your garden because I remember you posting a couple of videos on Facebook where you were talking about education and musing on education. And I really enjoyed watching those videos. Well, there will probably be more to come. You just never know. But girls, thank you so, so much for inviting me to have this conversation with you. I truly enjoyed it. And I love that you guys have started this podcast. Leadership is hard. And it's it's definitely hard. And I love that you called it an AP survival guide because we definitely <laughs> um, are learning survival tips, but you're really wanting to thrive as as leaders. And I think that's great that you guys are broadening the community to help and support others. So um, kudos to you guys. Great job. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So that was our conversation with Dr. P. We are so, so, so lucky to have been able to have that conversation with her. Um, Now we're going to take some time to debrief um, and just kind of think about what we've learned. So um, I guess I'll go first. There were a couple of things that she said that were that just really stood out to me. Um, one of the things that she was talking about for me was the importance of trusting your people. Um, and I guess, you know, when you, when you think about it, um, for me, that's always been something that's super integral, but I haven't always 
identified that as something that was really important to me. Does that make sense? Like I always knew um, that trusting my people was important to me, but I never, I never thought to identify that as something important to me. Um, and I think about that as like me in the classroom, me as a teacher, like Miss Lawson, the teacher, um, like discussion and, and talking to the kids and having them take ownership of their work was really important to me, but I never would have put it into words before that that was part of my educational philosophy. Yeah. And I think it has to be really intentional. I, I think it's one of those things that we talk about, but sometimes what we talk about and what we believe doesn't always translate into how we act and how we approach the day to day. And I, I think it's more than just saying like, I want to build a culture of trust. I think you actually have to make intentional, like we have to talk about it. You and I, we have to talk Mm -hmm. about it with our leadership team. We do not talk about it. It's not enough sometimes to just day to day live it because sometimes that doesn't translate. Um, one of the things that really got me was that our students are volunteers. Oh my gosh. That was such a light bulb moment. Oh my gosh. I could feel it. Like, I feel like if you, I feel like if you watched a recording of our Google meet where we were talking to her, I think both of our (laughs) eyes just went like, bing. Like yes. we were like, whoa. And I know it is easier to say, um, you know, yes, your job is education. Yes. You need to get here and you need to get this grade and you need to move on to the next course and, and so on and so forth. And I, I do think that is easier, but I think if we really want to talk about what's going to further these students onto success in the future, we talk about them showing up as a volunteer. And how, how many times have we dealt with a, like a discipline situation where we very much realize like these students, they have power. Like they can tell us no, especially in high school, they do exercise that power from time to time. So, um, I think we, as educators take for granted the fact that they are showing up and they're volunteering and they're engaging in this task with us. Correct. It was really like, and you know I love alliteration, so I've been thinking on that since she said it, and it's just this, just this idea that attendance is is compulsory, but attention is not. Mm. I mean, oh my gosh, like it really is, it really is super mind blowing for me, and I think it's going to change just that one statement. Like I feel like that's really going to change the way that I that I talk to kids when I'm addressing discipline now, because that that changes the whole game. You know, mm-hmm. I as an administrator, as someone who is talking to these kids and trying to teach them more than just compliance, but like wanting to do well, not doing well just because you have to, but wanting to do well, that's really going to impact the way that I, that I talk to them. Um, because I, because it just, it's been a, it's a light bulb moment. You know, I know Mm -hmm. I've said that a couple of times already, but it's a light bulb moment because it's not their job. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, And even us as leaders and and us as staff members, yes, we are actually here literally collecting a paycheck, but I don't know very many teachers who think about this career as a job. It is not just something to earn a paycheck. It is something that we are giving more than just attention to. A lot of us, especially um, during the age of COVID, we're giving so much to, and, and we need to really think about engaging one another in that same way with that same amount of passion um, even though it's difficult. Yeah. And this is something that we've talked about before, and I know that we'll address again, but this idea, you know, that your career is part of your identity. It's, I guess it's not necessarily uniquely American, but, um, it is, it is something that you see in American culture more than other places. Like you ask someone, what's your name? And then the, the very next question usually is, what do you do? Because what you do is such an integral part of your identity. And I, and that's, 
that's even, even more so that's, you know, even more impactful in education because when you're a teacher, you are a teacher that, that is who you are. Um, and so, so you're, I think you're really right about that. And I know that's something that we'll, you know, we'll probably, that'll probably come up again. I'm sure we'll talk about that again, but, um, this idea that your career is part of your identity, that's, that's a big deal. And the other thing I fangirled about, okay, so I, I will admit, I totally fangirl over Dr. Pianowski. She's such, oh, she's yes. so good at what she <laughs> she's does. She's so good at what she does. Um, she is one, actual, like, if, you know, if we want to go super millennial on it, like, she is actual hashtag goals. Like, she is. She's so awesome. And, and I love the fact that she called us girls because I, that, that's a term <laughs> of endearment to me. Absolutely. Call me a girl all you want because I am such a learner and I, I want to continue learning from, from her. And I'm, I'm excited that we get to do that. For um, sure. But one of the biggest takeaways for me was that she, even though, you know, this is not her first rodeo, she's been, you know, 30 years deep in education and still learning and growing, but she very much did say survival, like as a leader, she's still learning to survive. And then that kind of gives me hope. Like sometimes I feel like we're treading water, but if she can feel the same way 30 years in and there's still hope, like she still has passion. Um, it gives me hope that, you know, I'm not doing things wrong that maybe I'm doing it right. It's just, it is difficult. Yeah. And I feel like I really appreciated, I think, I don't know if she necessarily said this, but my, my takeaway is that she finds the fun in the survival, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's not, it's not just, it's not, it's surviving, but it's, it's not, it's not, castaway it's survivor you know it's Mm -hmm. it's not like the end of your life it's like we're we're really doing this because we enjoy doing it you know we're we're fighting the good fight to survive because it's is it masochistic of me to say like it's kind of fun it is fun and and you get it's always something new and I feel like as educators, we wear that badge of honor, you know, for sure. it is a badge of honor and I don't want it to be a burden. And so please don't recognize, I don't want you to burn out and I don't want you to like, like pretend that this is a burden that you have to bear on a day-to-day basis. Like recognize everybody needs to take care of themselves, but right. sometimes the struggle is fun. Sometimes it's, it's fun to solve a problem. Yes. Yes. And that's like the only time, you know, I will say this all the time. That's the only time I found math fun is when I got, you know, like down into the algebra and actually solved the problem. Like that's when I thought math was fun. So like problem solving for me yeah. is fun. And I think that's why I say, that's why I say like surviving is kind of fun because, you know, it's more fun when you thrive, but, um, learning something new, like having the opportunity to struggle, but still seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I think that's kind of the sweet spot in all of this is like not forgetting that there, there is more, you know, there's more to your life than just your career, but the struggle is kind of what makes it worth, worth it, you know, not the burnout, but the struggle. Absolutely. Yes. So I guess, um, I guess going into that, you know, with, as far as the burnout, we need to kind of address always what we address, which is how we are doing personally. And I think this week it's my turn to take the demerit. Um, so at the beginning of the school year, I mean, I was doing a really good job of, with my morning routine. Um, and it's not been so good. Um, for the last, for the last week, my alarm goes off at five fifteen in the morning and I hit the snooze button until six o'clock when I like drag myself out of bed. And I can really feel that in my day to day, like not having that moment to center myself in the morning. Um, so that's going to be my goal for this week is, 
to stick to my morning routine, to get up, to have my coffee, to um, do my journaling and kind of center myself for the day, I, I really need to be better about that because I can feel it. I can feel it during the day whenever I'm, whenever I haven't woken up and done that for myself, taking that time for myself. Absolutely. I think we're both kind of believers in the morning routine. I, I just feel like um, when anytime that you can embed ritual, whether that's a classroom ritual or whether that's a ritual for your life, it, it adds meaning to the moment, but it also adds consistency and structure that our bodies and, and our, our psyches need. Um, so I'm going to take us up with a spotlight. Um, Please do. <laughs> thank you. Okay. So our spotlight or my spotlight this week is just fun. Time for whimsy and fun. So one of the things I think that helps with burnout, um, at least for me, maybe not for you, is just adding in something new and novel. I really think that's one of the the secrets to adulthood. We feel like we just kind of get into a routine and a rut, but if you just add in some novelty in some new into your life, um, then you will feel re- refreshed and renewed. And so after, you know, six weeks of school, I felt like it was time to add something new or novel. So I've been taking a new um, online class and learning about Reiki and meditation. I love learning new things. Yes, um, all the all the woo-woo. All the things. <laughs> like, I'm the not woo-woo. super woo-woo, but I just love learning. And it's just so... I think Eastern culture and Eastern way of thinking is just so intriguing to me. So I've just, absolutely, I've loved being a learner. And then we just went away for the weekend. We, we went to the aquarium. We stared at fish. We played with our little girls, my husband and I. And it was just so nice to do something new and novel um, in this season of hard times. For sure. For sure. Okay. Well, that is what we have for you today. So since this is a longer episode than what we planned it on it on it being we appreciate you guys taking the time to listen all the way through please don't forget we are now available on pretty much every platform that you can listen to podcasts on so if you listen on apple Podcasts, please don't forget to rate review and subscribe and you can find us on social media we are on instagram at ap's guide to survival and then we are also on twitter at ap survival guide class dismissed (laughs) Thank you.